0: Welcome to the How to Write a Book podcast. How are you doing so far, everyone? It is a couple of days into Nano and I just want to check in on you, uh, but also to provide you with motivation today and for the rest of the month. Remember, every day in the month of November, we are providing an episode showcasing a special guest speaker, authors, writers, storytellers, uh, motivational coaches, so that you can be fueled in November, and also have everything you need to launch yourself for your goals at the end of 2023 and into 2024. All right, in today's episode, we interview Jay Viner. Jay Viner lives on what used to be the Plains, oh, the Plains of Nebraska, with two feline fur bombs and a very tall man. She knows just enough about a wide variety of things to embarrass herself at parties she never attends. She holds an MFA and MA from the University of Nebraska. Her writing has been published in Dravelcast. The Rowan, uh, Rowanoki Review, I apologize, Everyday Fiction, and a forthcoming in the Soul Jar Anthology from Forest Avenue Press. Her first novel, Jane of Battery Park, is available everywhere books are sold. And her contemporary romance, Elaborate Lives, is releasing in April, July, December of 2023. It's a three-book series, and we'll get more into that as well during the interview. But I love the way that Jay approaches storytelling, fits storytelling into a robust schedule, and then says, this is how I like my story to be, and I'm going to move forward to writing that story. It's awesome. All right, here we go. Welcome to the How to Write a Book podcast, the show that helps you plan, write, and publish your book, even if you're a beginner or just feel like one. Now, for your host, she's written over a dozen books and helps others bring their books to life. Here she is, Maciel. Hey there, writers. Let's take a beat to talk about a special announcement. So November is your month of transformation. Get a one-hour coaching session with me by choosing one of these three options, or all three. Option one, Join our Patreon for $1, which will support the show. Option two, book a $1 coaching session on Coach.me. Option three, leave an Apple Podcasts review. Send a screenshot to my email and get a coaching spot. You can do all three and get three hours of coaching with me. Find all the links in the show notes. Act fast. This offer is only valid for November to celebrate National Novel Writing Month. Thanks.
1: All right, and welcome back to the How to Write a Book podcast. Thank you so much, Jay. We have here Jay Viner, um, and we just want to say thank you for being on the show before we begin. How are you doing today? I'm great. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. Us too. Us too. Let me do a little bit of an introduction and then I'm going to throw it over to you. Um, you already have a couple of books under your belt, so I want you to tell us all about them. Uh, so Jay Viner is an author who lives on what used to be the plains of eastern Nebraska. I'm curious about that. She knows just enough about a wide variety of things to embarrass herself at parties. She never attends. Just like a true author. I love it. That's That's the epitome. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. Tell us a little about yourself from your own words.
2: Yeah, so I am an early career author, meaning that I do have some books and I have a lot of writing experience, but I'm not uh, any kind of a name brand or with a significant following yet. So I routinely get uh, rejected when I'm applying to do the bigger conventions because I'm not famous enough. Uh, So that's what I'm defining as early career. Uh, I started out very much in the literary and kind of speculative fiction realm. I did an MFA, um, not one of the prestigious ones, but one that got me connections and also got me my first book deal. Uh, and then I kind of slid out of that into my rebellion phase of let's write science fiction and let's write Nebraska-based futuristic science fiction, uh, which was maybe not a good career choice. And now I have landed in romance and I all of my published work has been in romance. So I've got a bit of an identity crisis. And I've done a lot of things, but if you look at my resume, you can't quite tell because in publishing, a lot of the work gets buried under, well, what have you actually published? And then it's a very short list. Uh, but that's about where I'm at right now. I love writing. I think, uh, there's just so much potential and every day is a new adventure and it's just what gets me up in the morning. Oh, I
1: love that. And that's, and that's, you know, really what it's about. You know, it's following passion of our hearts and of writing you being that writer and so you've written or you've published two books elaborate
2: lives and terrible love so it's yep. part of a series it is part of a series and i've actually published three books so my debut novel came out with redhead press in 2021 so i, don't, I didn't publish that but it was published uh, for me <laughs> uh and it was a debut novel during the pandemic which is just an absolutely terrible idea but we all survived and then, yes, the books that I'm working around right now are contemporary series, uh, set in Hollywood. The first one is an enemies to lovers where you have, uh, basically a Nepo baby who's trying to be a normal person. Uh, and she teams up with, uh, one of her patients. She's a psychiatrist and she's forced to take on this aspiring film director who has some anger management problems and, uh, made some problems for himself on the set. And so she's supposed to cure him, essentially, of his anger. And instead, they decide to fake a romance to try and manipulate Hollywood p- public relations uh and basically get what they want socially. And then, of course, because it's a romance, they fall in love. And then book two is where they're not enemies anymore. And they're sort of settling in and doing their actual relationship. Book three is coming out uh probably in the next month or so. I'm working on final edits right now, and it's going to the formatter, and it looks at their life as they're disrupted by a very dangerous uh, ex-boyfriend who kind of creates this menage a trois situation. And it becomes romantic suspense with a criminal conspiracy and the CIA, and I don't know what I was thinking, but it's really awesome. uh, And I'm really excited about it, and then book four will come out in February or something. I don't know.
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah, I'm definitely, I'm on board. I'm on board for like FBI, criminal conspiracy. That sounds awesome. Um, And just in case uh, you're new to the show, for everyone knows here, I love romance. I love romance. I am a sucker for romance. I have many episodes dedicated to why romance is awesome. So it's very much uh, in alignment. Um. So you have your first debut novel, um, published. I think it was. An, it was a different publisher. And so,
2: are you uh, independently publishing these uh, series of books? Right. So I'm doing these on my own. Uh, I wanted a little bit more control over them than I had with uh, my press initially, and also just because they don't quite fit with uh, direct romance so i gave you the tropes right and you can identify the tropes but ultimately the reading experience is a little bit more like women's fiction and it has some meaty themes about mental health and women's empowerment and what it looks like when you have two people who really haven't taken the time to work on themselves and they fall in love or they're trying to be in a relationship even if it's fake and what that uh creates challenges and and opportunities for growth. And so when I wrote it, I knew that it wasn't going to be an easy sell for a romance publisher. It wasn't going to be an easy sell for my publisher, which was literary fiction. Uh, and doing it myself has really given me a lot more options in terms of how I talk about it online and how I can market it and how I can distribute copies so that it actually meets uh, and gets to readers. And it's been really awesome. That's great. That's great,
1: and uh, I I love you. And you hit on this. but I love that you do hit on the mental health aspect. You know, reading the bio, um, I w- was like, oh yeah, you, you are going to talk about you know some some topics that need to be addressed. You know, it's not just at, at this kind of like high superficial level. You're going into like, you know, was this person thinking? You know, perfectionism. I think um, uh, the the main male lead sounds like he's dealing with a lot that I would deal with. You know. <laughs> I'm like, you get so like intense that you're just like, Oh no, get away from me, everyone. I hate you. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. which is really great. Where did you kind of get the inspiration for, for this series? That's a
2: good question. So there is another novel that I haven't published. The first one that I wrote with these characters actually takes 10 play 10 years after what I'm writing now. And it's with the female main character, Larissa, but with another guy. And it looks at, uh basically after the marriage is dissolved I can't this is probably a terrible thing to say because you're going to read the series and invest in the characters and now you know that they don't make it Uh but that was the first book I wrote and uh it was very different in terms of what the expectations were for that story and it just came out of nowhere and I kind of shelved it and I was like well that was a weird thing I'm going to go back mm-hmm. to science fiction now uh, and but it stayed with me and I'm really fascinated by performativity and how uh, media, especially Hollywood film and TV influences our ideas of normal. And so I keep coming back to writing Hollywood characters as a way to explore that. So they're larger than life. They're allowed to do really dramatic things. Uh, and we love that. And it also somehow speaks to what we feel like we're allowed to do or not. And so when I was thinking about, well, what is my next thing? I've had this debut novel, Nobody Wants My Weird Science Fiction from Nebraska. I took those characters from that novel that I had shelved and began to think seriously about what a romance novel, from my perspective, would look like. And I sat on the internet and I looked at the tropes and I basically picked five that I thought were really interesting and I built a novel around them, which is a little bit like what they say writing to market, although... I don't manage to do that very often. I just started that way and then went off on my own
1: mm-hmm. yeah that's a- that's a really cool way to do that because I think that um uh if you kind of bring out the tropes, you at least have like the bones and solid bones you know bones that people tried and true, people that they want to you know enemies to lovers, you know things like that people are they're already hooked on to them. these are these are part of our reading culture so Taking that, starting and I on your own. That's I feel like that would kind of make a very confident book. You know, you're like, well, I already know that this is what I'm looking for. Other readers are into it. Now I can kind of make it my own. Did you feel like that was kind of the process?
2: I did, and I I guess I didn't quite know how big it was. Like I didn't quite know enough about romance to realize, oh, these are the tropes that are popular now, or this is the one you don't do because people are sick of that. So I didn't do enough research like that. I really was just thinking about what was interesting to me. Uh, and I think it's it's always a great place to build from somewhere. So we, like the joke is that writing comes from something and we're usually assuming it's a lived experience. So I have a, a fan right now who knows my family and is reading these books and I'm pretty sure that she's reading it to try and figure out how much is from my life, which is a little bit absurd because it's in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. But we do that, right? And so I think instead of, building from my life what i built from is the idea of a romance novel and how i could play with that or maybe undermine that a little bit to give people more or think about things in a different way so for instance this story is very much you have a female and you have a male and they fall in love so it looks like a straight romance but it isn't actually because they exist in a world that is my world where you can always look at someone as a possible love interest And so even when they're forming this relationship, they're building it with the idea that there might be other people that come into that. Or there might be times in their lives where there's other people involved with one or the both of them. And just that very small, like, it doesn't actually happen until book three. But that possibility of kind of expanding the rules of the world, I think, is really important because then you begin to normalize this idea that you don't have to, you know, marry someone and be stuck with them for the rest of their life or it's a failure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's
1: really important, I think, because you're exploring different things. You're questioning different things, you know, um, which I think it's it's leaving that space, you know, because that's what I think fiction brings to that data. Well, it's really it's a reflection of our world, but it's brought into a space that either we can, relate to, or that we feel comfortable exploring, Um, you know, it, it really is like a little bit of a sanctuary, you know, which I think fiction does for a lot of people. Um When you were going into these books, you know, you have your bare bones, you go from the tropes, did you already have, like, a process solidified, you know, outlining process, editing process, or was it way more organic? Because the themes feel organic, but you, like, put them in, you know, like a surgeon, or they just came. <laughs>
2: Uh, so at this point, I have a pretty defined writing process. So I've been writing seriously for 15 years, uh, and it has evolved a little bit with my physical ability and also my day job and, and my routine. But generally speaking, I do pre-writing for about a month after I've sort of, I'm sort of committing to an idea. And my pre-writing, I mean that I've I've got it in my head and I've allowed space for it in my consciousness. And I take a lot of notes usually on the backs of receipts, which is not a good system. Don't do that. Uh I try, like, this time, the book I'm working on right now, I do have a book, like a journal thing. I'm trying to put everything in one place, and it's sort of working. But really, like, I have notes on my phone. I have notes in emails. Like, I just I have this space where I'm thinking about the story and what it could be. Uh, and generally I do that until it starts bothering me so much that I'm, I'm building scenes in my head and I have to write them down. And so in that sense, it is a bit of an organic process in that I don't tend to sit down at a computer until I, I know exactly what I'm writing at the first thing. I do write chronologically, so I usually will have the first third of what I think is the story. Sometimes I'm wrong, but I'm, by the time I'm starting to actually physically write, In word processing I have the third so that's the the main conflict of what we're introducing and then leading up to the main either the inciting incident or the kind of like the core of what sends the story into the middle of the conflict Uh, and so for elaborate lives what I had first was that you have these two characters and they have met in uh, a BDSM dungeon but they don't both recognize each other because one has a mask on. And so you have a relationship that begins there, but then about 30 pages later you have their in-real-world relationship. And so my first third was thinking about how I was going to bring those two threads together. Like at what point was that going to become their problem, and then it was going to send them off to figuring out how to solve it. Uh, and so I had that before I started writing, and I kind of knew, well, they're going to agree to have this fake relationship, and I'm going to write everything to get to that point. And it really helps me to write to a point, because otherwise I just have so many ideas that I don't end up with a novel. I end up with an epic fantasy that looks like a romance, and that's just very difficult to edit, and it's very difficult for me to to delete things once I've gone there, because then I want to keep everything uh, and I'm not really a believer in kill Your Darlings because my generative process really does, like, works really hard to tie everything together. So if you get to that point, then I can't untie it without starting the story over. So I'm very, very disciplined about what I allow myself to think about for a story. <laughs> uh, and so I knew it was going to be contemporary romance, and so it had to follow this kind of structure. Uh, and I, I stayed with that. I think I did a pretty good job, although the book is almost 400 pages, which is long for a romance. Nice. Hey, that's awesome.
1: Alright, so, so, 400 page book. You're working on the third book. Probably the fourth book coming out early next year. You said you have a full time job too,
2: right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: How, how are you doing all this? This is amazing.
2: Uh So I write really fast, and I think some of it is the pre-writing, like holding myself back from the sitting down and typing uh, bit that I have. I organize a lot while I'm doing other things. Mm-hmm. So all of my character generation, most of my, we won't call it outlining because I don't actually outline, but my organizational process all happens while I'm either at work or in the shower or dishes or, or whatever. Like I'm doing my writing during regular life things. And so that makes my actual writing time extremely efficient. Mm-hmm. So I will write on weekends, and then I work usually this time, like before I'm going to work. In the morning, I work for two hours, write for two hours, and it's it's very fast. So I, because I have a disability that makes it difficult for me to sit, I have to make my sitting time very productive. And so I don't sit down to write unless I'm like ready to go. And so a lot of that, like. The stereotypes of starting at the blank page, wondering what comes next. Like, I don't, I can't do that. And so I think that has, like, over the years of figuring out how that works for me, it has made me really efficient, where when I'm writing, like, I go really fast, uh, and I have to kind of make space for that. So sometimes <laughs> maybe I have a sick day, and I'm writing that whole day because that's, like, it's ready. <laughs> uh, and as a result, like, over the years, like, my first drafts, the story-wise don't tend to change as I revise like I I usually will be able to generate a first draft uh, as my complete story and then my revision is usually like the the language or like the nuances or continuity things which I think is also very unusual and you should not aspire to that it's just I've been doing this for so long and out of necessity this is kind of how it's, it's become my process
1: yeah, you have a very unique process. I mean, writing the back of receipts. I never thought of doing that too. You know, I mean, it's a paper though. You know, and they're usually available. You know, yes. receipts everywhere. That's awesome. I love how you you really just you're adapting the process to make it work. Your goal is to write the book, and you're doing what you need to to write the book. Um, and you mentioned something. And let me know if it's okay. that I'm asking this but I'm sure that we have other readers who also might be uh, might have some sort of disability. Um, and I was just wondering if you could provide some motivation or for tips, like how do you balance your disability with writing time?
2: Oh, uh, do I... I do not hold myself to outside standards. So one of the most common things that people will tell you is you're supposed to write every day. Or you should write X number of words. Uh, and I just don't believe in any of that. Uh, I think that your, your number one priority is, is your health and happiness. And if you are feeling like you have to write out of some kind of obligation, even if it's like just completion of the process, then that's not, I don't think that's a really great mindset to have. And <clears throat> so I spend a lot of my youth right frustrated with my body and trying to make it do things it didn't want to do, and sometimes I still do like ask it to do things that it doesn't want to do, especially on those days where I'm like, "Okay, here's the story, let's go uh and I deal with those consequences, but as a lifestyle, like I'm not trying to expect things to happen, and so if I can't write that day i don't I don't write that day, and it's it's not like at the end of the world or it's not this horrible failure and i just those thoughts like i'm not allowed to have those thoughts they're not real thoughts okay and i say this like it's taken me years to get to this point so obviously i've worked on it Uh, i have some mechanisms like i figured out that uh moving positions so i set up my office where i have like this is my desk but i also have a couch and so if i allow myself like i'll set timers and be like i can only stay in this position for this amount of time And I can keep writing, but I have to move to the couch or I have to do something uh, to kind of disengage from that position. Because for me, like this static. Staying in place like this is kind of a a stressful position for my body. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, when we're working with limitations and everybody has them to some extent, whether it's time or physical things or money uh, that you meet them where they're at and that it doesn't have to do with the rest of the world. It's really just you. And maybe you are frustrated that you can't write as fast as some people, or maybe you're frustrated that your your ideas don't come when you want them, but that that's part of who you are. And I think one of the easiest things about my life now is that I finally at that point where I'm just going to allow this to be my reality and not try and wish for something else because it's not going to happen. Wow.
1: Yeah, and that's powerful. And thank you for sharing that because, um, I think that that's something that, you know, like you said, a lot of people deal with in different variations and, um, you know, it, sometimes it can stop them from, um, getting down to, to the page. Um, but their stories matter. Their stories can be powerful. Um, I'm just like, you've, you've definitely proved. I mean, you're already working on a third and fourth book. So, I mean, that's, that's amazing to, to adjust and to learn, but to also, have grease on yourself, because you're right, mental health, being kind to yourself, the most important things. Yeah. Totally. Um, I wanted to pivot. Uh, one of my questions that I had that I definitely wanted to ask was, um, since you were independently published and your your covers, they also look very, very nice, because sometimes, you know, when you're independently published, sometimes people, will, they'll skimp a little bit on the covers. Your covers look
2: beautiful. And I was just curious, how did you approach your cover design? Uh, So I'm in a lot of Facebook groups specifically tied to publishing and the independent publishing process. And when it came time to think about covers and marketing, I had a list of people from those groups that had talked about who their cover designers were. Uh, And it ended up that actually none of those were what I wanted at the time. So then I went to books that I had read that were independently published, and I looked at the inside jackets will give credit to the cover designer. Uh, and I looked at those and then I went back to the websites and portfolios and I found one that I think is actually like one of the most expensive on the market right now. Uh, so they do look amazing. And someday when I'm a best selling author, it will probably have been worth it. Uh, but right now I'm actually starting like brainstorming a Kickstarter project because I didn't have the budget for four books. And by far and away, the cover is is. It's almost half the cost of, of producing the book, mm-hmm. each one. And so I have very mixed feelings about this. like, mm-hmm. how do you value a cover, uh, especially when you're trying to, to make, make it like with, without kind of a platform yet. And, but they are very pretty and I do like them.
1: Oh, yeah. That's good to know. Thank you for being you know, transparent about that because, yeah, you know, you, they can, uh, the cost for, for authors can rack up you know, pretty much really high when you have editors, beta readers, cover designers, you know, things like that. Um, so totally. And actually, speaking of, so what is your your vision process like?
2: Uh, so these books I did, I'll do a rough draft, which again is really fast. Uh, and then I usually let it sit. So I circulate two or three long projects at a time. Uh <laughs> begins to feel a little bit like madness. I don't know why I do that. I'm a compulsive writer, like it's just this is the only thing I have no kids. I just have a job and I write, and that's it. I watch sports. sometimes I write while I watch sports, so you have to put this in perspective like this is my whole life uh so I wrote elaborate lives and then I set it aside and I move on to other things and then I come back to it and I'll do a second revision and usually during that time, I will have made a lot more notes. Or I will have printed it and then I will like think of a scene and be like, I need to change this. And so I have a manuscript that already has some notes on it before I go back and do my second revision. I think with Terrible Love, which is the second book in the series, uh, it came out a little differently with a rough draft. And so right away I came back and I did a second draft. And that actually now has been more consistent where I'll do a really fast first draft, get the story down and do immediately a second draft to kind of make it how I wanted it to be once I figured out what was going on. Uh, And then I leave it alone, and I do other things, and then I come back to it, and then I do a third draft, and then it goes to other readers. I do not pay beta beta readers. I don't think you should pay beta readers. I'm not sure why this is a thing now. It's very weird, Uh, but whatever. Uh, So I have beta readers, and they have it for about a month or so. Uh, And then it comes back to me. And then I do... It's usually just one more draft after that. Uh but it depends on how I'm feeling about the story and what kind of feedback I got. So for this book that's coming out in November, Casta Diva, uh which is different from the first two books in that it has a very intense romance that is not between my two main characters. Uh where they kind of a gender bent mission impossible to where my main male character goes to Italy to basically seduce uh his girlfriend's ex-boyfriend. Uh, in, in this, you know, elaborate villa surrounded by rich people doing elaborate things and criminal activity. And so they, their whole, his point of view is this whole new fresh story. And that naturally has a lot of suspense and a lot of gravitas. And all of my beta readers came back and they said, well, the Larissa portion is boring. And I was mm-hmm. horrified because I thought, you know, I had balanced them. But because there were so many questions and so much great tension with this story that was taking place in Italy with the main male, main main character, like basically readers were skipping the Larissa chapters. And so I had to go back and with that fourth draft, I basically retooled half the book thinking about, well, what made sense for the Larissa story and how is it going to be more involved with what was happening in Italy? And she had things to do, but I hadn't made it quite compelling enough compared to the other half. Uh, So in that case, I did two revisions before I sent it to my editor. And uh, it just came back. I'm doing revisions right now. And so far, the editor hasn't said it was terrible. So I think we're okay. Uh, At at worst case scenario, you get a very one-sided, compelling half of the book, and you skip the the female character chapters. I don't know. That which has happened. I mean, I've read books like that before, where you have multiple points of view, but one ends up being really compelling, and then when you read the other side, you just kind of skim and you get through it as fast as you can. Yeah. But it has to be there, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. To have that breather. Yeah, that's awesome. I I love how you're approaching your, your writing. I think I think that um a lot of writers would get like bogged down with the the overwhelm of like oh no, well now I have this and slower, and then that would create like this mountain of like doubt things like that yeah you're approaching it i think in such a great way because you're like okay all right like you said worst case scenario they kind of skim to that and they're gonna but they'll get to the male lead section which i think is really great because you're publishing your work and i, I that's always like the the biggest thing is like publish your work you know because you just never know where it could lead you you know but yeah. if you let it sit on your computer it's not going to take
2: you anywhere right Yeah, that definitely has been the theme of my past. I think I decided to do independent publishing almost exactly a year ago. And it was a very big change in my expectations for my career. And it was exactly what you're saying is that I was tired of waiting for someone else to believe in my work. And it's not even believe in it. It's like decide that they could sell it. Right. Like when you're going with a traditional publishing, that's the question. And so it's not that, is your work good enough, or it's just, is it selling, can it sell? And you have to find, like, that one person who thinks it can sell. And when you think about, like, the numbers on that, it's absolutely absurd. Like, I don't know how any books ever make it that far, really. And then you have to think about, well, if your book does get picked up by an agent, and that agent likes it, but then sometimes, often, they can't find an editor who also thinks it can sell. So then it goes back, and it sits, and it does nothing. And then if you do manage to get it to an editor, that editor still has to sell it to the bigger publishing house and figure out how much money it's worth. And the amount of the contract that you're going to get for that book also depends on how much they're going to put into it to market it. And that depends on how much they have belief in your book selling to people who are, you know, probably thinking about other things. And just like, so when I learned about how publishing worked after my first novel came out, I just. I've been very much reevaluating what that kind of madness is. And if I wanted to wait for that, like before my book came out, like I have been writing seriously for for decades at this point uh, and had very little to show for it from the publishing side. Mm -hmm. And, And it is terrible to just, you know, all these novels. Like, so I'm writing three or four novels a year and they just sit. And they just sit. And so it looks like I'm producing a lot, but I wrote Elaborate Lives the summer of 2021, Mm -hmm. right? So the things I'm publishing right now are years old. Mm -hmm. And like, well, the thing that I'm doing next was my nano project from two years ago that I'm digging out. It's like, this is just sitting here. It's an awesome novel. Why can't I give it to people to read? And I'm doing that with my short stories that, you know, because the short story market is collapsing right now because of AI and Amazon withdrawing their um, subscription prices or whatever, Uh, there's just not going to be a market for short stories. And so I'm thinking about publishing those, and it's just we have them out there. And maybe they won't get seen, and maybe the algorithm doesn't like them. But at least there's that possibility, which is way more than what they have right now on my hard drive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that, Jay. Oh, my gosh. Uh, one last question I wanted to ask you uh, yeah. before we do a wrap-up here. Um, also, uh, how do you do your research? I mean, your your characters are in Hollywood, Italy, crime, people, you know. Uh, yeah, how do you approach all that? Uh,
2: so when I was doing Elaborate Lives, and my, my debut novel, Jane and Battery Park, also takes place in Hollywood, and then the the novel that has been published, The Ten Years in the Future, from my my time period now, uh, that time of research, uh, if you look in the table of uh, the acknowledgments for elaborate lives, it's like a page and a half of books you can read that I read, and it covers everything from like what is the life of a third year resident in psychiatry to these are the heartthrobs biographies, these are the bad ones, <laughs> right? And then, and then these are like the the studio like behind the scenes. Uh, Hollywood industry books like I read there's probably like five kinds of books that I read to try and make these these stories make sense and I still wouldn't say that I've got it completely right belatedly I have made connections with two different people who work in the industry and they haven't read these books and I'm a little bit scared of what happens when they do but the thing is what I've learned is that if you watch enough movies and tv there's a secondary reality that media creates. And so you don't have to necessarily write the book that's true to the Hollywood industry in real life. You just have to be true to what we think it is because ultimately you're writing fiction. And if your fiction doesn't look like how people expect it for that industry, like they're going to be distracted anyway. And so I actually have a lot more research of what's true. This is especially true of of Larissa, who's, who's a psychiatry resident and how, residencies work like there just wasn't enough space for that level of detail or that level of truth even like I had to pare it down to the the grave anatomy version of medical representation (laughs) which is terrible and I don't think it's at all reality but it makes sense for how we understand that part of the world Mm -hmm. Uh, so I did do research uh, but ultimately I uh, made my own choices
1: Oh, nice. I like that secondary reality. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh totally. Oh, thank you so much, Jay. I really appreciate it. Um so yeah, we're we're good. well first of all, this has been great and we would love to have you back on the show when you publish the next two books. So please feel free to reach out. This has been lovely to chat with you. Um where can everyone find you and your books?
2: So you can find me, I'm mostly on TikTok and Instagram and my handle is J-A-Y-E underscore V-I-N-E-R. So just my name. Uh, You can send me messages uh, at my website There's a contact form and it is also just jviner.com. So very easy. Uh, I do have a Shopify store. So if you're doing any browsing or you want books like you think you're going to buy all of my books and you want them cheaper than you could if you go out to Barnes and Noble or Amazon or whatever. Hopefully your independent bookstore where they order them for you. Uh, you can buy them cheaper as a bundled thing. And then also I can sign them for you if that's your deal. So I can send you those links.
1: Oh, that would be great. I love that. I also, I love autographed copies. You know, I'm a sucker for them. So that sounds awesome. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Jay. Um, This has been a wonderful, not only for your organization that you provide, Um it's, it's been honestly just really great to chat with you and to know your process. Um, so let's see. All right. That has been Dave.
2: Um, and your books are, please repeat your book titles again. Yep. So my debut novel is Jane of Battery Park. It's romantic suspense. There is no sex in it. If you like clean romance, it is your book. It takes place in Hollywood between a woman who is trying to escape her cult family and a has-been heartthrob movie star. And then I have my contemporary series, which has lots of sex and is open door and has some bondage, uh, so the opposite. And it's called Elaborate Lives, and the first two books are out right now. So you have Elaborate Lives is the pink one, Terrible Love is the green one, and then Casted Diva will be out sometime in November. Awesome. Congratulations.
1: We're looking forward to it. And thank you again, Shay, from the How to Write a Book podcast. Really appreciate it.
2: It's a pleasure to be here.
0: And that's a wrap for today's episode of the How to Write a Book podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you want to keep up with me and my work, check out the website, blackheartedstudios.com. That's www.blackheartedstudios.com. And follow me on Instagram, at Mastiel That's at M-A-S-S-I-E-L writes. As a book coach and publisher, I'm passionate about helping aspiring authors bring their stories to life. So if you've been dreaming of writing a book and don't know where to start, head to my website and let's chat. You get a free 30 minutes on me. Thanks again for listening and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks.